Oh, yeah. Hey, y'all, we have to get a quick selfie with y'all. Is that good? Okay. Okay, get in. Get in, everyone. Gather around. Gather around. Okay, ready? Okay, nobody move, okay? <laughs> Did you get us? <laughs> that was good. Well, when friends get together, that's what you do, right? You take a big selfie. Well, that's what we did recently when a few hundred Hope Riders gathered near Charlotte for the Hope Riders Workshop. Welcome to Episode 7 of Season 2 of the Hope Rider Podcast. This episode recorded live at the Hope Riders Workshop. If you didn't make it, you still can, at least for the next 30 minutes. This episode is the Q&A session at the end of the workshop, and the questions aren't just answers to the questions, but they start a wide-ranging discussion, like how blogging and book writing go together, how you can get more readers, ideas for helpful books and courses, and even how to start an online writing encouragement group. That's up in just a few seconds, and lots more than that, too. The Hope Writer Podcast is brought to you by Hope Writers, an online membership community for writers of hope. If you want your writing to give others hope, we want to give you hope. And you can start getting that hope right now. Go inside Hope Writers for one week for one dollar. Just visit hopewriters.com slash trial. Your hosts on the podcast and at Hope Writers are sisters and authors Emily P. Freeman and Michael and Smith, marketing and tech guru Brian Dixon, who also writes books. I'm Gary Moreland, Michael and Emily's dad. My first book will be out next summer. In the previous episode of the Hope Writer podcast, we shared the things we've chosen on purpose to not do because you can't do everything, right? What's on your don't-do list? That's episode six, the previous episode of the Hope Writer podcast. In this episode, your questions and our answers recorded live at the Hope Writers Workshop. Writing can be lonely. A writing encouragement group can be life-changing. Sound good to you? If so, well, this first question is for you. Let's get going. Okay, so the first question. I would love to know if there are others in the room who might be interested in an online monthly group for writing encouragement and helping each other. Raise your hand if that's you, if you agree. So that's what the Facebook group is for. Okay, so you can post that question and say, hey, like I would love to talk with a bunch of people on Tuesdays at four o'clock. Like you make the decisions and then the ask. That's the way those work. So I started a mastermind group. We meet every Friday at 2.30. Every Friday at 2.30. Now, I made the decision about Friday at 2.30. I also made the decision about the people in the group. So I've, I decided that I was, it was going to be about guys that support uh, female Christian bloggers. Okay? There's not a lot of us out there. <laughs> For a reason. Yikes. No, we love you. Don't hurt me. So I knew who to ask. So I specifically asked some people and I said, okay, you're the book launchy guy and you're the affiliate marketing guy and you're the copywriting guy and you're the online, cor you're the online course guy and you're the how to start blogging guy. And so we all have similar issues and opportunities as awesome. well. You do that. <laughs> Wouldn't y'all like to be in that room? <laughs> so, uh, so we meet at Fridays at 2.30 on Zoom and it's... It's free. Zoom is a, you know, a web conferencing thing. We all have our faces. And since there's uh, five of us, six of us total now, we added somebody just recently, about four of us make it of the six every week. And it always helps. Somebody's on the hot seat for the week. So they uh, get to bring a challenge that we all discuss. And then everybody else gives their highs and lows and their action steps. So I call that a mastermind. You might call that a writing group, whatever you want to call it but I suggest that you take action on it. So pick a time that works for you, post it in the, in the Hope Writers Facebook and say, hey, I would like to meet up with a few writers online, Mondays at eight o'clock Eastern, and let me know if you're interested. Private message me if you're interested, and I'll give you more details, something like that. And then from there, you can have a conversation and see if it's a good fit. 
And it's the fourth mastermind I've done. Um, and this is my, I, I started an in-person one a few years ago. That was awesome. This is probably now my favorite. So it might not work right away, but what that doesn't it, mean give up. What makes it your favorite? Because we all can relate. We're all over their issues, stuff in common and opportunities. <laughs> we have a we have an online support group actually for female Christian bloggers who work with male marketers. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you should add to that group. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, when you, if you when you do that group, that's a certain size probably works better. Not yeah. an unlimited size. I'd say five is kind of the minimum I found. We've tried it with less people, but then if one person has a sick child or something, then all of a sudden you're just like, it's you and this one other person, you know, because somebody else had to cancel. And so five to eight, nothing okay. more than 10 maybe, but five to eight is good. It would be great if you were all kind of on similar places in your journey. Uh, it's kind of like the, you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Yes. These guys have all, I, I knew them professionally but they've all become my close friends. One of them had a baby last night. He texted me personally to tell me about his baby. Like, we're close friends now. Like, we're gonna do something like a rent a house and do a weekend thing together to oh, talk about our plans. I love that. But it's just because we started. So I had to ask them first. Uh, two people said no. No, they said not yet, which is kind of like a southern way of saying no. And, uh, and it took us six months to, to work out the details. And then we started in January. It's you been almost a year. You took six months to do something? Well, they did. Oh, God. <laughs> Brian, it would have been tomorrow. And it's been great. It's been great. It's the highlight of my week. We have it on Fridays at 2.30. And it's, the way, it's a great way to wrap up the week and feel like you got something done. Even if you had a terrible week, you're like, they can empathize with you. And so in the same way, there are people in this room that you've connected with. Maybe the people at your table. You're like, I really, this is good. Let's keep this going. No one's preventing you from keeping it going. Do you suggest, uh, like, let's try it out for a couple of weeks and see how it works? Or do you just commit to it and, okay, now we're doing it? Do you have an end time to it? Or, because if you, if you, yeah, we have a hard stop at 3, 3.30. So well, do, you have, do you have a hard hour. stop on when your group is going to end? Because then it could be awkward if it goes on six months and yeah. kind of people are losing interest. I like try before you buy, start slow, hire slow, fire fast. Well, so just the a same way. A, re a review time. Like, okay, so we'll things. look at it again in three months and see if we all keep want to keep <laughs> doing it. Else? I'm just More trying poetry. to rap. <laughs> like if I have pithy sayings quicker, <laughs> add a beat and I'm Drake, you know? <laughs> okay. Can somebody ask else answer a question? I think we're moving on. <laughs> And one way, too, that we sort of do that, but we modify it a little bit, yes, please. Um, is, is over Voxer, you can kind of do a modified version of that, where if you can't find a time during your week where everybody can sort of get on Zoom or get on a vi you know, video, my nightmare. I hate having to get on video. Right. There's no need for that. <laughs> but, but you can see the tears. Sometimes it's useful, right? <laughs> you guys cry in your mastermind? I That's my it. safe place. <laughs> <laughs> we all need one. We do. But we have, we ha we're like in a little Voxer group with women who sort of are doing the same type of thing. And, but it's on Voxer, which is, does everybody know what Voxer is? Does anybody not know what Voxer is? There's a like walkie-talkie. It's like a, it's an app for your phone. It's free. And basically it is like kind of a grown-up walkie-talkie, but you sort of like leave a message in it. It's similar to voicemail, except it's different because when you leave a voicemail, for one thing, you're leaving it for one person. Voxer, you can do a group. And for another thing, if you leave a voicemail, you have to call the person and they might pick up. No, thank you. So instead, Voxer 
just captures the message and you can listen on your own time and then you can respond on your own time, but you can still have an ongoing conversation. And so you can do that with some of your fellow hope writers or other people and have, and I know some of the hope writers actually do that already. There's some groups that are, are going on just on your own. And so I think that's a fun way to, yeah. to do it in a sort of a mini way, a smaller way. And there's a fast forward mode. If someone talks, can condense. Slowly. So it's not as long. Slowly. But I listen to everything at three times the speed. Of course you do. <laughs> so it's faster. <laughs> so n- new question: If you if you realize that you are that you need to refocus, do you tell your readers? Who feels that way? I wouldn't tell them until I knew what I was focusing on, unless it depends on the kind of comfort relationship you have with your readers, though. What if you're refocusing away from them? Does that resonate a little bit? You could, I mean, I'm saying you could share that. If you shared it, you would be admitting to them that you might not, they might not be as interested in you. You might not serve them in the same way that you have before. You want to invite them. You really hope they come along, but you understand if they don't. And when you get those unsubscribes and your feelings are hurt and all, you've already given them a heads up, you're kind of renegotiating your agreement if you have subscribers and they've committed to you, they committed to a certain message from you, right? Their expectations are a certain way. You're kind of renegotiating that commitment in a way. They valued you and gave you their email, and now you're going to do something different? I don't want that email anymore. It might make sense to give them a, a heads up on that so they would have a choice. Yeah, I would say it couldn't hurt. And I, but if you don't want to, you could always do it in a way that was more gradual or, and see if it resonates. Because the worst thing to do, the worst thing to do would be to say you're going to change directions and then change directions. And then you realize, yeah, this isn't really my thing. Mm. And then you have to switch again. Then you have to have another conversation. So make sure it's just one conversation and not like a series of conversations because I keep changing my mind on what I want to do. Because we've known, and we talked about once how people who will start right. something and then start something new before they've even known if the first something right. Always worked. moving to the new Do thing. Do it first, then announce it. Like, I don't think we need, I'm not waiting on a big announcement. We decide our own audience based on what we give them. And so I think there's a lot of overlap in that. And maybe someone would think, well, I don't want to follow that, but they're already following you and they might not even realize, oh, I like the way you write. I'm just a fan of what you're doing. And this is interesting to me. So I would hesitate to be like, attention, everyone. I'm making a huge change. You're probably going to want to, here's your option to unfollow. Like, no, just do it. Do it first and see what happens. And see what happens. Yeah, it might not be necessary. There's lots of reasons why I follow people and read people. And it's not always because they're sharing something exactly in the niche that I hope. And if they changed it, I would stop reading them. Sometimes it's just like, oh, what are they up to now? Okay, that's interesting. Maybe I'll come along. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right. I think that it could be more of an invitation if you just go in that direction. Mm -hmm. And if if you're starting to get like, 30 emails in your inbox, people asking questions about it. Maybe then you could address yeah. it, but... Have a reason to do it. there's no reason know to address it. Know that you need it. to do it. Yeah, yeah. And the other cool. part is, like, what Michael was saying was, like, if you, if you have a relationship with your readers and they love you and no one trusts you, like Brian was talking about, and you start talking about something different, they very well could say, well, I'm, I'm interested in that because I'm interested in your perspective and view of anything that you're talking about. I feel like that with Edie from Life and Grace... I don't care what, I mean, she used to, I, she got me with her home stuff and then with her soup and now with her oils, she could talk about anything and I would probably Clearly, follow her oils, to the ends soup, of the earth. Anything liquid really would be Any great. liquids or colorful things. I'm there because I love Edie. Totally. I want to, she's kind of like a mentor. I want to know what she's right. into. I don't yeah. care what it is. Tell me. Yeah. It's, there's little she could do that would keep me from coming back. Yeah. You know, 
And your, your readers feel that way about you. You are an ED to someone else. Drop the mic. We've actually <laughs> got leave. mics to drop. <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, is it redundant? This is a question we've heard before. Is, this, is it redundant for your readers if the chapters of your book come directly from your blog post? Who can resonate with that question? I'm blogging about my stuff, and then I don't want to put it in my book because I already talked about it on my blog. Wow. Why'd you say wow? How many people read your blog and read that blog post, and how many people are going to read your book, and how much overlap in there? What percentage of your readers read the chapter? That's one thing I'd think of, maybe. It's greatest hits collection, too. You know, mm-hmm. they like your blog, they want to read your book, but they want to read the part about, you know, from your blog, they want to read that in your book. So it's greatest hits. It's like, these are all the cool things I told you already about, and here's a little couple extra things that you don't know about, but I saved it for the book. We have a Hope Writers interview, too, with Carolyn from Zondervan. Yeah. She answers that she exact answers that question. question. Yeah. And I know in my contract, because I had written so many things on the blog, we actually had a percentage, like 20% of what I had written, like, word for word on the blog was allowed to be in the book. And it all changes. I mean, some of it had written five years before, and you update and change that. But, yeah, some of the series, I have, like, three series I, series serieses, or directly Okay, I'm doing the, the math now. Do the math with me. So you're, you, you could have 20% of your agreement. Just uh-huh. an example, crazy example. The publisher was acknowledging <laughs> that you could use Let me just pull one out. 20% of your blog, right? Yeah. In the book, one-fifth of the book. If your book is 50,000 words, they're acknowledging that you might use up to 10,000 words straight from your blog, and they're saying, that's fine, but no more. Right, and it wasn't like I had all this newfangled stuff that I had secretly never talked about before. Right. I was never asked. We never had any conversation like that. I did, though, as I was writing, I kept thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I've already thought this through. Where was that? Mm-hmm. And I would go try to look and see, and I would say, oh, I've thought that through better than I'm thinking it through now. And so I could take that and adapt that and know how to work that in. I didn't keep track of percentages at all. Well, and it's a little different. But when we went to see the Taylor Swift concert with my girls, <laughs> guess what song everybody's waiting for? At the end, Shake It Off, and they did it as right. the encore. We've all heard that song. It's not like, oh, I, I'm going to this concert, and she better have all new songs to sing. <laughs> if she did that, we would make her give us our money back because we came to hear the songs we know. It's a little different with writing because, you know, once you hear a story, it's a thing. But, like, I love hearing... I mean, I've I've told a ton of stories from my books this weekend. (laughs) And it's just... That's because I only get this one life. And so you don't... You can't, like, make up new things that you've experienced. We're just people and we're relating and we get to share the same things and we'll do it in different ways from different perspectives. And that's okay. How many people read the blog post? How many people do you want to read the book? What's a, good, what's a good sales number for books that you would wish that you could sell X amount of books and everybody would be happy? What would it be? Seven to ten. Seven to ten? Okay. How many people read the blog post? One way to look at it is, you know what? I got, I got 500 people that read, that, read, that, read this thing that I wrote, but you 10,000 over here, you don't get it. Even though I wrote it and it's a gift, it was only a gift to these 500, you don't get that gift because I said that before. Well, boy, that doesn't sound nice. Well, and I know for me, if I wouldn't have written that stuff on the blog, I wouldn't have had the book deal. That's it. That was like my one thing I knew to write about. <laughs> yeah, and, and, a, and a book is more organized. So we haven't used this word, but the word framework. So you, if, if you, once you start writing, you'll figure out, huh, I really have kind of five things I say, <laughs> okay? And, and you kind of start to categorize those things, and then that's what becomes your book. It's the five things you need to know about this. And so those become your chapter titles. It might be seven or 12 or whatever, but you sort of have it. 
And then you go back through your blog, okay, and then you're like, what did I say about that thing before? And if you've organized it, then you can click on the category and you go, oh, I already talked about those things. And then you kind of take that and sculpt it into what makes sense in the format of a book. So that's generally how it works. You're blogging, blogging, blogging when you have a book opportunity. Then you take the framework and you take the blog and you kind of put it through there. And so, sure, 20% verbatim, but then all the 80% is kind of based on the 20% anyway, because you've already kind of started talking about that stuff. You're right. And I mean, (laughs) there there are people, Seth Godin is kind of weird, but he did that where he just printed all his blog posts as a book and people bought it. (laughs) Just his blog posts. Why would they do that? Well, they wanted the convenience. Mm-hmm. It's all yeah. gathered together. One place. I don't what? want to click through. I yeah. want to read it. Feel the pages. it for someone. Here's a gift. You don't have to go through and search and go back through the archives. The other yeah. part is a book is a, has, a, has an arc to it, right? It has a narrative. It has a story. You're going somewhere. You're building a case. Your blog posts probably were not part of that. They were not random, but they were individual data points. A book is a collection of data points that add up to something, and so those blog posts are going to be put into a context of something that can be vi- that take on more than what their original use was, because they now become part of this whole case that you're making for what your book is uh, about. <laughs> so another question from you guys: Since customers must first be visitors, how do I increase the number of visitors? To- you get it. Awesome. <laughs> you understand. <laughs> You've been waiting for that question. Yes. <laughs> I had to text it from my number. How did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Five, seven, oh, eight, five, six. (laughs) Since customers must first be visitors, how do I increase the number of visitors on my blog? Raise your hand if you're frustrated that you don't have enough visitors on your blog. Yes. Half the hands go up. For those of you who aren't in the room. I want more visitors. Right? Visitor count shame. We all have it. Feel it. Visitor shame? Visitor shame. Oh. <laughs> Email list shame is usually what I call it. You're like, oh, it's not big enough. It's like house shame or whatever the other shame is. Email list shame. Wow. I think we have uh, visitor count shame. I saw a big, huge yacht, the biggest yacht I'd ever seen, uh, docked one time. You know the name of it? Never, Never enough. enough. Whoa. Okay, so how do you get more people to your blog? You write compelling, you write compelling content. So you found out about Nestor. I'm just going to brag on them for a second. You found out about Nestor because she was helping you have a home you love with the stuff you have. She was able to create a home feel in a rented house, and that's why you followed her. That's called compelling content. You followed Emily P. Freeman because she created a space for your soul to breathe, and she was real about her walk with Jesus, and you wanted that. That was compelling content, and so you followed her. Those are the visitors. So you're sharing something from your heart, and then you kind of filter it and edit it so it's ready for people to engage with. And once they read it and it resonates, what do they do? They share it. They share it. And their friends read it, and it's good, and their friends read it. I've only ever had two posts go viral, and one of them had a million views, and I don't ever blog. Had a million views. And it happened when I shared the whole Ashley Madison thing. I don't know if you remember when that happened. It was, what, two years ago now. And I talked about, I put that in the kind of modern day context from the Bible. And I just felt, I was literally on my way to Bible study. And I was like, whoa, everyone is just having all these issues with this. And yet, like, how, like it was like, a how, wh- what would Jesus do about the situation? And I don't write about that, okay? <laughs> I write about internet marketing, 
But that just, I just felt like I had a message to share and I, enough audience to serve that I needed to share that. And I was late to Bible study because I wrote it in the parking lot. Okay? Wow. And I just posted it and I thought, well, a couple of my friends are going to read it. I literally, that's what I thought. An hour of Bible study, I got back to my car and I just sort of like, I didn't even think about it. I really didn't even think about it. I was like, I'm glad I got that out. And I checked my phone because I had my phone on airport. I checked my phone and I had like 15 texts from guy friends who said, thanks for sharing that. I had no idea how they even found it. It posts to my Facebook, but they found it. They texted me personally and said, thanks for, thanks for writing that. Somebody needed to write that. You wrote it. Thanks for writing it. I'm sharing that. And before you knew it, the thing blew up and it blew up like crazy because I wrote compelling content. You write compelling content first. And so Brian then changed writing about marketing and helping people <laughs> to writing for guys and uh, what that topic was. Because it went viral, obvious sign from the Lord that you need to begin writing about that because it drew a huge audience one time that you wrote it. So no. that's when you changed, right? No, I mean, for such a time as this, you've got a message for a time and you don't have to keep pleading with the king every week. Like once in a while, you have something to share, share it you know, to share it. And so that was what needed to be shared at that time. And I have way more stories of me sharing stuff that never resonated. But every once in a while, I, who said it? I'm trying to f- find the original attribution. When there's tears, when you're typing, there'll be tears when they read it. What was that? Is that a thing somebody said? That is a thing someone said. Yeah. Not tears for fears. That's oh, different. yes, yes. I know what it is. Te- no tears in the... What is it? No, tears when you write it, tears know? when they read it. I think Something that, like, no tears. We're going to call it the, that now. Tears no when te- you write it, tears when they read it's it. There's no tears in the that. writer, no tears in the reader. Google it. Tell us later who it is. By the way, so you'll notice, that, though, that what Brian said was even though he had success in one thing that he wrote, that didn't change his direction. He knew the direction he was going. He was going to need more than just a momentary success in something to have him change the direction of what he felt like he should do and still struggle with it. We all still struggle with it, you know? We'll write something, we're like, oh, I thought that would work, and it didn't, right? That happens to you guys still? Oh, every day. Every it goes day. goes the other every way, day. too, yeah. yes. Every day. We've tried stuff together that we've been like, that's <laughs> going to work great. Right. And then we've tried stuff that Whoa. we're like, well, they might like it. And then all of a sudden, we're like, what? They love it. What happened? Right. Right? Yeah, it's so fun. Yeah, but because we're, do, we're, we're doing it, the only way, failure is feedback. The only way to get feedback is to actually try something to do it one time and see what happens it's good okay so what what are books or online courses that you all would recommend to help you become a better writer to do the work of writing so maybe pick one resource that actually helped you improve your craft does that sound good one resource that helped you improve your craft of writing oh there's so many so many but i do not want to give you a reading list because you're going to ignore the thing you just put in the box yeah Okay, I'll start. Craft and writing, I don't even think of myself as a writer necessarily, but it's part of my business. So my book is Essentialism by Greg McEwen, and that's how I do everything. And just one sentence, why why Essentialism? Um, In one sentence. It gave me the confidence to say no to the things I secretly knew I needed to say no to anyway, so that I could focus on the work that I needed to do. That's good. Um, the first, uh, the book by Marianne Roach-Smith called The Memoir Project. It's a very thin book, actually. And I also wouldn't necessarily call myself a memoir writer, but I think she has great things to say about writing with intention, 
no matter what kind of writing you're doing. So the memoir project by Marianne Roach-Smith. The Bible. <laughs> That's funny. Seriously, have you ever seen how the Lord had people write stuff so concisely, so briefly, yet so meaningfully that you walk away from those two sentences thinking about them the rest of the day? How does he do that? And he uses such simple, everyday language and boils these deep concepts that you can think about forever into real, actual words that people read the way we read normal words. Yes, we need someone to help us to enlighten us to, the, to what the author really meant, yes. But yet he uses regular words that we all know how to read, and it has this, can have this effect on us the way that he does it so briefly. So I, seriously, that's beautiful. And then going the other way, Anne Lamott and uh, Bird by Bird. Anne can have some kind of weirdness if you get to know her. <laughs> Am I putting that right? Okay, I don't buy everything from Anne, where Anne Lamott comes from. But boy, the way she talks about writing and the advice that she gives and the little square thing and the notepads and the crummy first drafts, those are so she valuable. She doesn't say crummy. She doesn't say crummy. Yeah, that's what I mean. We know how to filter things, right? We can filter to get the part that the Lord could have for us. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think it's more of a mindset. You can have any book, any course, and as long as you go through it with intention and looking at it like, I'm going to take something from this and use it and put it into practice, it really doesn't matter. There's no magic sauce between, you know, following, following Stephen Pressfield or Annie Lamott or, you know, uh, Greg McCown or whoever it is. So these are our things, but we had to, do a lot, we had to go through a lot of them to find the one that really fit fit our thing. Brian, you might mention also, yeah. because course was mentioned in that question. Sure. In your experience, what percentage of people who purchase a course and begin going through it finish it? We just, just like three weeks ago, we did a 10-day course with a client, okay? 10 days. And so I thought, this will be interesting, because I actually had a conversation with her as we're shooting the videos, and I snarkily said, uh, the ninth day, I said, nobody's going to watch that one. And she had her hair and her makeup, and what it was an awesome. Insult, right? I know. I don't have much of a filter. So I said, you know, nobody's really going to watch that one. So because she wanted to redo it, I was like, nobody's going to really watch that one. And that came from a place of data. Now I should have changed my heart a little bit in the way that I said that. <laughs> but guess what? It's true. So I looked at the stats. So uh, ten videos, and they paid money, thirty-nine dollars. First video, sixty-seven percent of the people that bought the course watched the first video. Two-thirds. One-third never engaged. Okay. 8% watched video 10. And it was a 10-day course, and every video was like eight minutes long. And most people binge-watched them. They just watched them all in one day. What if it had been free? What percent do you think would have watched the first video? 8% would have watched the first one. Okay. So when you pay, it motivates you to engage and to take it serious because you've already got some commitment and some skin in the game. But even then... Because of our just human nature, we don't do it. So if you pay money and you go all the way through a course and you get all the way through, you are rare. You are special. And you have done something just through that that most people don't do. And you've gotten somewhere that most people will not get to because most people don't finish. But also don't let it get you down. Like she still had to make 10 videos because people wanted to buy 10 videos. 
and they might have only had to hear what was in the first video. And so make sure your best stuff comes first. Well, and the same goes for a book. We don't have the stats on how many pin- people finish a book, like because we can't go into. Not yet. Oh, Brian's working on that, I guess. <laughs> Ebooks, you could. But sort they of buy tell. it, and then they sometimes they read the first chapter on Amazon before they even buy it. So that's really a really important chapter. Just a little helpful tip there. Your first chapter is the one they sometimes use to decide whether or not they want to buy the book, and they buy the book, and then we don't know if they read the second chapter. We don't know. We only know they bought the book. That's what we have the stats on. So it is important to to not let that be discouraging. That like, oh, a course isn't as important as maybe a book because people don't finish courses. How many books do you have on your shelf that you haven't finished? You know. But I do want to ask you, do you have a resource that you would recommend that you are just the, off the top of your head? For the craft of writing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just I mean, the, the classics book. are Stephen King has on writing. But what about writing. you? Oh, do me. Yeah, like oh. you are a favorite. You know, like personal? Like You know, yourself? like that time when you were crying about your wife today? <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she's here. Sorry. She's here. <laughs> yes. It's she, like that, Brian. Tears on the stage, tears on the page. That's your second drop the mic I miss my calling. That's awesome. (laughs) So what was the question? The question was... avoiding it. Share with us. No, Annie Annie Lamont, I've already mentioned it. You know, it's the three steps. For you personally, for you. Well, I uh, either... Uh, we've already no, talked about this. That is one. our struggle every podcast. Brian, we wouldn't get... Crack the facade. What's your personal favorite? It's worth pulling it out of him. <laughs> Down, up, and dental draft would be... The, that process is really good, but I'm going to share something else to challenge you a little bit. So when I first... He won't do it. What Julie! It, every time, he won't do it. Well, I don't even know what the problem he is. Does, he doesn't get it, but that's okay. That's your zone of genius. We love you. <laughs> well, uh, uh, something that really changed the way I do something... He's thinking of you so much, he just can't even go there. See? Right. He can't turn it around at all. So that's good. That's good. I admire that. Can we that. restart? Let's, let's <laughs> admire that. <laughs> so there was a course that I bought. It was two thousand dollars. Whoa! And it was on. It was. A There's f- a lot of courses that are that price. That it was a female buy. entrepreneur that talked about the soul of your business, soul and from a woo-woo perspective, the what? Like the soul what? The soul of your business. And, and I knew, I started to work with a few female, female writers, and I knew that I had a deficit in the way I communicate with them and what they're looking for and how I make that connection. And so I said to Julie, hi. <laughs> uh, so what do you think about me spending $2,000 on a course? And we didn't have, you know, like that's a lot of money. You know, there's other places you can spend $2,000. Um, I think we did the payment plan, so it cost us even more. But we did it over four payments <laughs> of five ninety-five for seventy-nine. And why did you do it? Because it was Marie Forleo's B school, and it taught me. And I love Marie mm-hmm. sometimes because sure. a lot of times she tells me stuff that I needed to hear, but I didn't want to hear. So she taught me about the customer avatar, and it all starts with your audience. And if you know me, you know that is what I preach all the time. And so I spent $2,000 for Marie to hit me over the head to say, it's about your audience. It's about my audience. So that I can teach you, it's about your audience. And that has been a $100,000 lesson. A priceless lesson. Now, yes, I finished every single module (laughs) of that course because it was $2,000. Of course, they did all the little worksheets and everything. She calls them fun sheets, so she can charge more. Smart. Tricky. That's very tricky. 
See? You're learning. Every second, you're learning something. But the ICA, right? your ideal customer avatar, is the best lesson I got from that, and that's what I recommend. But don't go buy B-School unless you're ready for that. But one day, you'll be ready for that, and, and it's really good. So one way is to say, you know, I can't really afford that. Brian would say he couldn't really not afford to do it. Afford to not. Afford yeah. to not do it. We, ma- we made our money back in the f- first client after that. Absolutely. 100%. Over and, uh, time and time again. You... I had clients that once they heard I took B-School, then they hired me. Oh, wow. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you approached it. You turned pro. Yeah. Tish and I were talking about a new project, and she said, have you ever heard of Marie, Marie Forleo? Like, literally two days ago. And I said, oh, I took B-School. She said, okay, cool. And then she had more... She's worked with me before, and she had more confidence that I knew where she was going with wow. the next course. Even though I've known her for a year. She's awesome, and we're friends, and we work together. But having the credibility of understanding and perspective from that resource has, again, paid dividends. So the point is... Don't be afraid to make that investment in yourself as long as it's the right timing and you're going to implement it. And I promise Julie, I'm going to make it worth it for us. And, uh, and it was. Yeah. That's from the question and answer session from the 2016 Hope Writers Workshop. You don't have to wait for the next workshop to get encouragement and hope for your writing. You can join Hope Writers right now. It's a whole community of writers on the same journey you are. Writers who get it, who've been there, and can help you. Go inside Hope Writers right now for $1 for a week at hopewriters.com slash trial. And you get the Hope Writer Facebook group right along with it. A super community where you ask questions and make friends, get encouragement to grow your confidence and ditch anxiety. Go inside Hope Writers now for a week for $1. Just go to hopewriters.com slash trial. In the next episode of the Hope Writer Podcast, writing encouragement from Ann Voskamp. Wouldn't you love to sit down with Ann and ask her about the challenges of writing and how she handles them? Well, we did, and you can join us on the next episode of the Hope Writer Podcast. And some final words of hope from writer Stephen Pressfield. The most indispensable skill for all writers? The ability to switch back and forth in your imagination from your own point of view to your reader's. Thanks for listening. 